everyone, this is Nate Scott, and this is the For the Win podcast, your home to everything that's buzzing in the world of sports. My guest today is an old friend of mine. He is a special teams kicking, punting expert for Inside the Pylon. His work you can find online at a bunch of different places. Um, it's Chuck Zada. Chucky, how you doing, man? Doing well. It's good to be here today. And uh, I was actually thinking about it as you were saying that. We go back probably, I'm thinking it's like 14 or 15 years at this point. So, long time, buddy. Wow. Was soccer, Dartmouth soccer camp, or was there something before that? I think that's probably it. That was probably, uh, that was where it all started, and look where we got to today, <laughs> you know? Just a couple crazy kids out there running around like idiots, and we both ended up at Dartmouth and both failed as soccer players. And, and now look at us. We're talking about the NFL <laughs> on a podcast. It's amazing the path we take, and as you said, we both uh, we both failed. I think uh, you know, blaze of glory would be too kind. There wasn't a whole lot of glory, and the flame was pretty dim. But we're here today. We're still kicking. It's what we do. Listen, man, no one rode the Dartmouth soccer bench like you and I rode this Dartmouth soccer bench, and I maintain that. True story. True story. <laughs> we we warned that we we kept that thing. We kept that pine toasty. Um. Yeah, anyway, we could at least. We did what we could. Wanted to have Chuck on because not just to reminisce about the past, but also to talk about this crazy kicking week in the NFL. This was the week that, you know, when they made the rule about extra points, pushing it back, everyone thought, well, maybe it won't really change anything. Maybe it will. Uh, The wind picked up this weekend. The weather's turning and things are starting to change. Is that... Uh, 12 missed extra points this weekend, the most probably ever. They, they, the stats only go back so far. Are you surprised? The, uh, sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no. What? You, you sounded like you had a little factoid there for us. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it is the, uh, the most that we have in recorded history in the NFL, that 12 uh, missed extra points. And what's interesting is that prior to uh, this week, we only had 36 missed extra points over the course of the regular season thus far. So you went from seeing about three and a half misses a week up to 12 all of a sudden. And, you know, it, it kind of makes sense that people kind of get their antenna up and they say, you know, what's going on? Especially, you know, if you're watching that Giants-Bears game where you've got three missed extra points just in one game and, you know, the conditions there were terrible and, and really, I think, led into a lot of that. But you're sitting there and you're saying, man, they were talking about you know, narrowing the uprights at the beginning of the year. That's what you had, you know, Dean Blandino coming out and saying in the preseason, I don't know if fans really want the uprights to be any narrower after a week like, week like this. I don't know if kickers want the uprights to be any narrower. And that was the thing. You know, I think in the first few weeks people were saying, it's like, oh, it's still a 33-yard field goal or whatever it is. And, and whatever, that's a pretty makeable thing. When you got a 20-mile-an-hour wind in your face, the difference between – an old extra point, the new extra point suddenly becomes very, very apparent. And I think we saw that this weekend. Well, exactly. And, and look, you know, the, the longer extra point, if you look at how we came through the first season, we saw about 94% of those extra points end up being made. This season so far, we're at about 93 and a half. We've had, I think, about 752 extra points. We've seen, I think it's 49 misses to this point. So, it's a little lower pace than last year, but it's within the margin of error. You're talking about, you know, four or five kicks over the course of 11 weeks of NFL play to this point. So we're pretty much online 
for what we saw last year. And if you remember back to last year, week four was a week where kickers just kind of lost their mind, not so much on extra points, but on field goals. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people at that point said, oh, the longer extra point is messing with them. Kickers aren't going to end up being as good as they were before. And we ended up with like the second or third best accuracy for a full season of NFL kickers still. So bad weeks happen. And it's sometimes it's due to weather. Sometimes it's due to, uh, you know, just fluke occurrences, a full moon or who knows. I mean, kickers are <laughs> were a little weird. So, yeah. you know, things kind of happen sometimes. But, you know, there's nothing when I look at the data that's out there, there's nothing statistically that says that this is the start of a new trend. It's more, hey, we had some some crappy conditions, especially in places where we normally don't like San Francisco and LA. Yep. And then of course, you know, you just kind of had, you know, some guys who for whatever reason just kind of checked out and, you know, didn't do what they were supposed to do. And he ended up with a tough week here. And I'll, I'll tell you my charting for this week is just an absolute mess. I was going through and normally <laughs> on my extra point chart, there's like one or two that you see missed. I had like seven in a row at one point that I'm going through. I'm like, what is happening here? Like, Kickers just kind of lost their minds a little bit. And I think that was it. It wasn't just that it was a record-setting week, though. It was. It was the – there was that 30-minute span on red zone where about seven extra points were missed in the, you know, in the span of a half hour. <laughs> it was just like it – was, It was that 3 o'clock hour Eastern time yep. on Sunday. It was – the worst hour in kicking history. <laughs> and I rem- I tweeted you. I said, like, what, you know, what is going on? And you tweeted back all as well. It was just such a, it was such a bizarre, and I think that sort of tied into it. It was just like this feeling like, what on earth? And I, I think you brought up a good point. It was a confluence of a lot of things. There were a couple weird blocks. Um, there were a couple just, you know, guys kicking into the wind, and it was clear that this just wasn't going to happen. And it was just... It was just a, a a weird week. Was there anything, you know, anything structurally you saw with some of the kickers that that surprised you, um, or are I you know I don't want to glean too much into like this bigger trend because as you said there there isn't really a bigger trend that you know the the averages are about what they are on the year. Are there any kickers that you've been surprised by this year who, um, you think this might be nearing the time that they end in the in the NFL? Um, in terms of, you know, I, I don't like to talk about guys in terms of, you know, their careers being over necessarily because obviously, you know, these are people who, you know, they, they got a lot on the line there. But some guys who I think have some questions as to whether or not they end up finding, you know, some new places next year, you know, Mike Dungeon's kind of at the top of the list there. He's a guy who's never really been an above-average kicker to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been having a very difficult year in Cincinnati. I don't think he's gone before the end of the year just because the Bengals are out of it at this point. Um, and Cincinnati is a franchise that is notoriously cheap and not wanting to spend money, especially on, you know, a kicker necessarily. So I don't think he's gone before the end of the year. I do think if I'm Cincinnati and I'm not in the playoffs – it should be, in theory, a great time to bring in a new kicker and find out if he can play at the NFL level. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Cincinnati thinks that way. Um, so he's a guy that I think, you know, there's some questions that I have. Obviously, we saw Blair Walsh uh, end up losing his job last week. Uh, Kai Forbath came in uh, for the Vikings, had a good week this week. Forbath isn't the long-term answer there. Um, you know, he's a guy who effectively got run out of Washington largely because he doesn't have the leg strength even to be an adequate kicker on kickoff. So he's a guy 
who I think is more of a stopgap anyways for Minnesota. Yep. So I'd imagine they're looking for someone new next year. Um, you know, those are the guys I think that I have the most questions about uh, as far as long-term security. I think obviously New England fans probably have a right to be concerned with Steven Goskowski with him missing another extra point this week. Um, he still is a guy who I don't think you find anything better out there on the market, but I think obviously Bill Belichick's probably probably frustrated with the performance uh, for the dollars that they're paying him. Not something that bothers me as a fan or a writer just because I'm not paying him, so yeah. do whatever you want there. Um, but I also I want to touch on something else that you mentioned uh, in your question, and that is the number of blocks that we're seeing on extra points. Yeah, I, w- I wanted um, to ask you about that. With the longer extra point, I'll tell you, defenses are bringing it in terms of the pressure right now. And whether you're talking pressure off the edge, where we saw a couple blocks from uh, this week, whether you're talking about guys like Camp Chancellor hopping over the center and trying to go right up the gut, whether you're talking about D tackles pushing the offensive line back two or three yards, defenses are bringing it on extra points. And that is something that is playing a role here. The number of blocks that we're seeing because of that is definitely higher. And I think that is a major factor in what we're seeing right now. So I don't think kickers have you know, gotten worse, but I think defenses are making things much more difficult because they are being far more aggressive in going after extra points right now. And that's a noticeable change in the last couple of years. Is that um... – because it's further out, they aren't as afraid of a, a fake for a two-point conversion, or is it more just a mental thing? Like, a, a, an extra point used to seem so automatic, it was almost like the defenses didn't even really try. You'd just see them sort of stand up and kind of stick a hand up in the air, whereas now they're, they're really, you know, believing in, in, in the, the, the chance of a block. Uh, what's, what's happening there with defenses? You know, I think probably the, uh, the two-point conversion thing was a fear that NFL teams had in the past, even though no one really yeah, tried it. You know, it wasn't anything that anyone did. Um, it was kind of one of those irrational fears that coaches have, kind of like, well, there's a lot of them. But, um, you know, as, as to why else they'd be doing it, I don't necessarily know. I've, you know, some people talked about, well, they have to kick at a lower trajectory coming from the longer field goal. Well, no, from 33 yards, you don't need yeah. a lower trajectory to, to make the kick. When you, you don't need to start talking about that until you get out to, you know, 53 yards plus, really, for a lot of these guys. So I don't see any of that playing in. I just think that, you know, having the ball off the goal line significantly now gives defensive coordinators a lot more freedom just to say, hey, look, pin your ears back and go because we don't have to worry about anything. As well as, you know, it used to be, let's say you were offsides on, on an extra point. All of a sudden, that ball's at the one-yard line. A team may choose to go for two now. Yeah. Well, here, look, you're offside. They're still kicking a 28-yard field goal. Um, you know, they're still they still got the ball on the 10-yard line. So, from my perspective, I think the biggest thing is just you know you're a little further away, so it gives defensive coordinators a little bit more flexibility there. Um, and obviously, you know, I think the uh, the threat of the two-point probably plays in as well. But you know, those are just theories. I have no confirmation on either of those. Super interesting, and, and I hadn't really thought about that part. And now that you mention it, it makes all the sense in the world. Want to come back to Goskowski, who you mentioned, and I know New England fans, uh, where we both grew up, are grumbling ab- about his performance fairly unfairly. I saw you write a, a little bit about his his form earlier, and we don't have to get too into the n- nitty gritty. But you were talking about how he's um, 
coming around a little bit more where he used to be sort of a straight through kicker. Are you still seeing that with his with his with his uh, form? And if so, why do you think that's happening? Yeah, you see, it, he had cleaned things up a little bit uh, after that article. Um, this week on his missed extra point, you did see him falling off again to that right side, which is right where his missed extra point ended up going. Um, you know, from talking to some people around the team, the big thing that they had to say was New England replaced uh, their turf in the offseason. And apparently uh, included uh, a few too many of the little rubber pellets, which made it kind of a – very cushy feel, I guess, is the way that people described it to me. Um, and Goskowski's a guy who historically has had a lot of momentum and a lot of force going into his plant foot. And the big thing that I guess he as well as punter Ryan Allen noted was they couldn't really push off the ground the same way. And so you might have seen their technique change a little bit in response to that. They Interesting. Have, since, uh, since then, they've pulled out some of the extra pellets, I guess, in, uh, in Gillette Stadium. Uh, but Goskowski still isn't quite right. Um, I still think he is better than any alternative out there. I still think there's a pretty good chance that this is something that might be a one-year thing just because kickers tend to be volatile from year to year anyways. Um, and so my, my whole thought is, look, you write him out for the rest of the year. If you want to bring in some competition in the offseason, sure, go ahead. Um, but this is still your guy that you're going to ride or die with going into the playoffs. Reading your your article on Goskowski, I was I, I just kept thinking about uh, the human hip and and how if it can just tighten up a little bit on on a kicker, how that might severely alter the the way they kick a ball and the the, the trajectory of something. I'm, I'm not sure that that's what's going on with Goskowski. But I just kept thinking, as someone who I myself has suffered through hip problems, like if 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 someone's hips tighten up or the low back starts tightening up, how quickly that could augment someone's kicking motion. And I'm wondering if I'm just totally making that up. No, it, it definitely would be a major impact there. And part of the thing that you see is uh, the, the training regimen for kickers tends to be very different from what you see from other football players. Obviously, you know, we like to show off on the bench press and hit that 225 rep as many times as we can. But what you see most often from kickers in their training, it's a lot of flexibility work. It's a lot of core strength work, a lot of, uh, you know, stabilization work just to make sure that you have that balance in that core because it is so critical to what kickers actually do. So, you know, most kickers, they're not doing heavy squats and things like that trying to, uh, improve leg strength in that fashion. It's, look, I want to improve flexibility. I want to improve quickness and core stability. And that really is a key focus because if you do end up with a little injury like that, it is the kind of thing that all of a sudden it throws something else off. And next thing you know, you find yourself out of a job in a couple of weeks just because you've been missing left and right. Goskowski isn't there. Um, you know, that certainly is not where he is right now. But injury, especially in something like a hip, could definitely play a factor. Hey, everyone, we're going to get back to the call with Chuck in just one second. But before we do, wanted to tell you about Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, which proudly supports the For the Win podcast. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage approval process into the 21st century. Fast, powerful, and completely online, Rocket Mortgage has taken all the complicated, time-consuming parts of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. Hate searching through stacks of old files and paperwork? With Rocket Mortgage, 
You can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button, helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your unique financial situation. Even better, with Rocket Mortgage, you can do all this on your phone or tablet. It's a quick online process that you can manage from the convenience of your couch. So if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com FTW. Again, that's quickenloans.com FTW. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Other thing I wanted to ask you about, this is more big picture, and we'll come back to the, this season specifically, but more big picture. You know, when, when you and I were growing up, and I think this is still happening in high school teams across the country, kicking might have been the worst coached, the football kicker might have been the worst coached position of any sport in any, like, any possible level. There are a lot of high school teams and youth teams to this day that just go for two because they don't know how to coach a kicker into doing it yep. correctly. Um, are you seeing that improving and what's being done to improve that on, at, at sort of a, a youth, even all the way up to college level? Um, I don't really see it improving in terms of the coaching that you're seeing on teams. Wow. I think there has certainly been a much greater push towards a lot of these kicking camps and kicking instruction uh, in summers and things along those lines. And that's where I think you're seeing a lot of the growth in kickers. And that's why I think you're seeing kickers today as the best that they've ever been. Um, but I'll tell you, even up to the NFL level, it is a position that is undercoached and very much misunderstood. Oftentimes, uh, the people who are scouting kickers are low-level, entry-level scouts who it's their first assignment and they've never done anything else in football. Yep. And I think that that is a situation that causes some misevaluation to begin with. And then beyond that, I don't think a lot of coaches – understand how to coach kickers i don't think they understand how they think i don't think they understand how to motivate them and especially i don't think they understand the mechanics of it and they don't have the patience to deal with one player when there's a team of 50 plus guys who's demanding their attention as well so i think on a team level it still is very poorly coached i think it's poorly evaluated um but on an individual level when you talk about the private coaching and the out of team coaching that goes on i think it's as good as it's ever been and there's some outstanding people there but on teams, I just think it is not given uh, the amount of work that it should be. And, look, this is something when you talk about ways to improve a team, whether you're talking at the NFL level, the high school, the college level, it's one of the most cost-efficient hey, Everyone, before we get back to the call with Ted, to wanted to tell you about Rocket Mortgage bit. by Quicken Loans, which proudly difference. supports the For the podcast. To a kicker Rocket Mortgage brings the defense, mortgage approval no process into the 21st century. I was blown Fast, away powerful, and completely online. And I Rocket heard this mortgage second hand, I'm not going to say the name of the school. Time-consuming parts you know, of applying I, I, I for a mortgage out of the this, equation. SEC school Eight searching through stacks of old files and paperwork. A very With good Rocket Mortgage, you can easily Louisiana. share your bank statements and pay stubs uh, at the touch of a button. Who I being get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution uh, that's been tailored to your unique financial situation. Even better, with Rocket Mortgage, you can do all this on your phone or tablet. It's a quick and online process that you can manage thinking the being, of your couch. They can't perform under so if you're the looking to refinance your mortgage of, uh, or buy a home, a big check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com. Then they won't be able to handle the pressure Again, inside a big SEC stadium. And the kid FTW, missed one, and the guy said, "I'm going lender, somewhere else with it." In all 50 states, and, uh, NMLSConsumeraccess.org, number 30. The fact 30. that that could be viewed as an adequate way of scouting and recruiting a high school kicker. Uh, sort of boggled my mind but it, it, it's clear to me that 
you know, whether or not that's apocryphal, that the fact that that story exists out there shows that there's just this misunderstanding of what kickers do. And, you know, it's, you know, pressure is some absolutely part of it, but that's not the only thing that makes a good kicker or a bad kicker. No, and I, and I think, you know, the, the evaluation is something that's very difficult to get right. One of the things that I do have issue with, with regards to a lot of the kicking camps that are done, is that's when a lot of the evaluation happens. And a lot of these camps are either indoors or in the summer when things are ideal. And look, especially if you're kicking in the Northeast or in the Midwest or even, you know, out in the Pacific Northwest where it rains some, you know, a decent amount of the time, you're not often kicking in ideal conditions mm-hmm. in the game. So, what I want to see from a kicker, I don't want to see him on one day where he may have you know, woken up and had a bad day or you know, maybe he's having the best day of his life and all of a sudden everything looks great. I want a longer track record that I can evaluate him on, and you need to be able to take the time to go through that process. And unfortunately, I don't think a lot of coaches want to, um, but it's, again, it's, it's an easy, cost-effective way to improve your team. One of the stats that always this, – this kind of blew my mind when I researched it last year. Um, what was it, two years ago when Dominick Sue signed with the, uh, the Dolphins, was it, I think? Yep. Um, Dominick Sue has more guaranteed money in his contract than every NFL kicker combined. <laughs> yeah. Okay? So when you look at some of these kickers who are only making 75 78%, if you spend an extra couple million dollars a year – you can get yourself an extra 15 to 20 points a year without breaking a sweat. It's an easy and cheap way to boost your team. And even if you don't want to do that, spend $50,000 and get a coach in there who's dedicated to coaching him instead of trying to do it yourself and getting your special teams coordinator involved. Get someone dedicated to doing that. It's, it's, it's one of, I think, the, the things that is most interesting is you have these NFL teams that spend – millions of dollars on evaluation and training and this and that, but they simply won't give their kickers the resources they need to be successful. And, you know, I've had talks with, you know, guys who have kicked in the NFL about this, coached in the NFL about this, evaluated in the NFL, and they say the same thing, that teams just don't want to make the investment there, even though it's an easy way to boost up your team. And it's so interesting with, you know, everything is being examined, every dollar is being looked to spend smart. This just seems like such an effective way to to really maximize your potential um especially at the nfl level i want to return quickly to the to the high school and college level because you're talking about these these you know the the main evaluation is happening at these camps um how many good kickers in this country are getting missed because they can't afford to go to camps or they don't know what these camps are like is is talent slipping through the cracks do you think you know, that's a really good question, and it's one that I don't know the answer to um, because these camps are not cheap. You know, in a lot of cases, um, you know, the cheaper ones that are, you know, one day you can still be spending $250 for a two- or three-day camp. You can be spending, you know, 900 to to $1,000 sometimes. Jeez. And, you know, really what you're paying for is exposure because a lot of big-name coaches come. You get a lot of, uh, you know, high-end uh, instructors that are at these camps. And these camps do great work, and I'm sure that – a number of them probably have some, you know, quote unquote scholarship programs, I guess, where, you know, hopefully you get some low income uh, athletes that are able to come in and hopefully perform there. But I couldn't tell you, to be honest. I mean, it's one of those things where you don't know how many people you don't see just because, you know, they haven't been there. It goes back to, 
there's a great story about airplanes from World War II where, you know, they were trying to figure out, okay, so, you know, which planes are, you know, where do we need to add the extra armor on the planes? Mm-hmm. And they said, well, we need to add it on, on the wings because that's where the most bullet holes are. Well, no, you need to add it on the engines because the planes that get shot in the engines don't make it home so you don't see the bullet hole. <laughs> yeah. well, we don't know the kids that aren't making it into these camps, and so it's very difficult to evaluate how many could be slipping through the cracks. But, you know, it could be a significant number of kids just because we see the income disparity in the country and especially among kids who play football. That's And that's something that I think, you know, I hate to use the money ball as a verb, but someone's got a money ball that. Someone's got, some college coach has to figure this out because the amount of great D1 programs that I've heard of having mid-season tryouts to find a kicker. Florida did this a oh, couple like, years ago. There's, there's like three to five a year, it seems like. Three to five, yeah. And this is happening, meaning that, you know, the coach went to the kicking camp that year. He sent some low-level assistant to a, the kicking camp. The kid who made the most that day, who had the biggest leg, they said, all right, you're, you're, you're in. And they have no idea. They have no idea. No one's scouting this. It, it's just for something that is so important to so many games and, um, you know, to hear these coaches talk about it, it's clear there's just a fundamental not, you know, it's sort of even up through the NFL level, the kickers are sort of left to figure it out for themselves. They have to go get their own coaching. They have to get their own feedback. They watch their own film. Um, and it's sort of it's sort of wild that that's still happening up through the NFL level. It is, and, and look, it kind of ends up creating this self-fulfilling prophecy where you have these kickers that are on their own. And part of it at the NFL level, keep in mind, might almost be by design. The, the, the way that the NFL roster sets up, you can only afford to have one kicker on your roster. Some teams carry an extra one where they split, you know, kickoff and uh, yeah. field goal duties. The, the Buffalo Bills did for the last couple of years. They finally realized it was a dumb idea and stopped doing it this year. Um, but the necessity of the NFL roster is, look, you need to be able to, if your kicker, if your kicker's struggling and if he loses it, you got to be able to cut bait and move on from him because yep. you can't keep him around. It's not like a wide receiver where you can toss him on the bench or, you know, a young guy where you put him on the practice squad. You can't do that with a kicker. So you almost need to make them somewhat disposable. So I understand that at one level, but you also would think, Hey, I want this guy. I, I need to be able to move on if possible, but I also want him to know that we have his back and, and we're trying to do what we can to make him successful. And that's, yeah. And, and that brings up the Aguayo situation in, in Tampa Bay. This poor kid is, you know, what, what draft, what round draft pick did they spend on him? A third? Uh, second round pick after trading up uh, to get him, which is just, <laughs> it, it just puts him in an impossible situation. The expectations are just too high. I mean, Adam Vinatieri wouldn't have been successful in that situation because he only made 75% of his kicks as a rookie. Yeah. It, it, it is a um, a tough situation for a kid and, and makes you understand, you know, that they're – that it's – again, it's it's being put – Aguayo's being put in a tough situation. If, if they spend – a second-round draft pick on a defensive end who needs 10 games to 12 games to figure it out and then becomes a pro bowler, that's fine. That's a success. You know, you did it. Um, yep. With a kicker, you can't do that. You can't take 12 games for him to figure it out or a season and a half to really come together and, and, and figure it out as a pro. 
uh, a kicker has to be perfect day one. And and, and, that, and that's the problem is, you know, and, and you're actually seeing him now. aguayo has been perfect over his last three weeks at this point. And to be honest, his mechanics are starting to look pretty good. I watched uh, his tape uh, just about an hour ago, and he's looking pretty clean right now. But he, he always has had this yeah, – it's, it's a powerful motion, but it's also kind of funky in the way he moves. He's almost in the air as he hits the ball sometimes, and it kind of creates the potential for, you know, a little bit of funkiness that you don't see from a lot of kickers. So, you know, for him, it's been about getting that timing down at the NFL level. And part of it is, you know, when you have nerves, that timing, you're talking about hundredths of a second in terms of, you know, how quickly this happens. You know, if that timing's off by a hundredth of a second, everything kind of falls apart. So for him, I think he may just be settling in a little bit now and he looks a lot more comfortable, but he still has a ways to go to prove that, hey, I can do this consistently. Three weeks is nice, but you need to be able to show, okay, I can go five, six, seven weeks without missing a kick because, you know, your your best NFL kickers, if if you want to to pay off as a second-round pick, and this is where that pick, again, it becomes so difficult to live up to this. If you want to live up to being a second-round kick, you know, pick as a kicker, you can only miss two, three kicks a year. That's it. Yep. And – you know, for him, you talk about that funky, funky delivery, uh, that funky form he's got. That's going to work in in Tampa Bay. Gets iffy when you're kicking on an ice field in Buffalo in December. You know, <laughs> and yeah, we we don't know. We've we've never seen Roberto Aguayo in snow. Yeah, we've never seen. So we don't know what we're going to get at this. Point. Someone's done a study. I think they showed. It was either three or five games where the he'd only kicked five games, I think, below uh, 50 degrees in temperature in college, and none of them were in snow or anything like that. Um, so we don't know how he's going to handle kicking in snowy conditions. Now, fortunately, you know, you look at where he is. He's in Tampa Bay, and generally, unless you're playing the NFC North late in the late in the season or something like that, yeah, you're not going to have to deal with too much there. Um, you know, their schedule's fairly favorable, I believe, the rest of the way out as far as weather. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, look, it was it was raining in L.A. over the weekend, so strange things happen sometimes, and he's got to be able to deal with it. Super interesting. Chuck, man, always a pleasure talking to you. Your work's at Inside the Pylon. Everyone should really check it out. It's my favorite site uh, when I want to geek out about NFL and understand things I don't understand because I'm a stupid simpleton and their website helps me out. You working on anything we should keep an eye on coming up? Uh, We're talking along on a couple projects for uh, later in the season. I'm doing a bunch of work uh, just kind of charting out all of our kicks and punts this year. So we got some cool punter stuff that's going to be coming up later this season. Um, And then, uh, you know, just chugging along with our regular weekly stuff too. Quickly, should we be excited about this Raiders punter? Oh, Marquette King. Let me tell you, I I love Marquette King's <laughs> game. He is Marquette King has always had all the talent in the world. The question was, could he put it all together at one time in one season? He's doing it right now. He's in my uh, my midseason. He was in my top three along with Johnny Hecker and Thomas Morstead. Those are my top three guys. Marquette King is uh, he's the real deal. I'll tell you that much. Um, he is putting it all together finally, and it is beautiful to watch. Talk about someone who will show you what you do if you just expand the, the scouting horizon just a little bit. Kid from Macon, Georgia, uh, who went to Fort Valley State and now is probably the best punter in the NFL. 
Would you say that? Is all it? you got to do? It's it's. It, I would put him. He's right up there. I mean, it's it, take your pick out of those three guys this year. Him, Morstead, and Hecker are right there. Pat McAfee's like a hair behind those guys right now. Um, he's got a legit chance at adding up as my top guy for the year. Super interesting. All right, man. Everyone, follow Chuck's stuff. Uh, he's on Twitter at itp underscore chuck z, and, and he can be read at inside the pylon. Um, they're on Twitter at it pylon, and really a great follow for all the good stuff. Chuck, man, the next time some crazy things happening in the kicking world, expect a caller, right, dude? You got it, buddy. Hope uh, you and your family have a great Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll chat again soon. All right. You do the same. Later, man.